Marketing Insider, a Claritas podcast for marketers focused on finding and targeting their ideal customers at scale. I'm your host, Monique Ruiz, and we're continuing a conversation from last week with the president and co-founder of Nima Hunter Incorporated, Don Carley. Don and I have been talking all about audiences, activation, and acquisition. And if you've not listened to part one of this episode, I encourage you to check out the description box for a direct link to that. But we still have so much to discuss, so Don and I are going to jump back into things. Don, I want to hear a few of your tips, tricks, and best practices for acquisition, starting with Once you've defined your target audience or audiences, how do you acquire or convert them? When we're talking about consumer audiences, um, if the product is a financial service product, then I would turn to the Claritas cycle segmentation because while it takes into account demographic and psychographic characteristics, it, it also has an extensive set of uh, data fields that are devoted to financial services products and financial services related behaviors and intents. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was for a consumer product, I would likely use the prism segmentation, which is okay. yep. going to be looking more at general consumer goods behaviors. Um, and, and in fact, um, you know, for even for a financial services brand, if they said we're, we're interested in home equity loans that uh, for consumers interested in home equity loans for um, making solar plus battery investments in their homes, (laughs) there, there are additional products that are looking at specific behaviors related to things like installing solar or batteries or uh, smart inverters and, and so on that that can also access through, through Claritas. Mm. Um, and the only other thing is to look at, um, in some cases, if I knew that my audience was geographically specific, I might also perhaps look at geofencing data. So let me give an example. Um, in the pre-COVID days, there was a, uh, a, a credit union that wanted to open a new branch, and they were the head of real estate was evaluating different properties. And I said, well... Um, where are they located? <laughs> and they gave me the three. And I said, would you like to know something about the populations that are in the market catchment for each of those three locations? And he said, how could you do that? I said, well, <laughs> um, well, first, using another Claritas product called Geoscape, we make the center of the catchment your perspective location. And then we ask the system to tell us, what is the radius within which 80% of the economic activity for credit unions and banks takes place relative to each location. And that radius is dynamic. It depends on the location. Mm -hmm. So now we say this is where your addressable market is. And it's determined by things like driving time and walking time and, and even, you know, those things during certain times of day or days of week. And then we could say, well, we could also geofence the CVS location that's across the street from each location or, you know, some similar thing. And I could tell you over the past month, how many people in each of the cycle segments have visited that CVS mm. or, or would 
have likely visited your parking lot, which is across the street. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we start to zero in on location. But then we say, well, that's not enough. I I see that there are a lot of people in segments, you know, 1, 3, 11, 16, and 24. How could I acquire that audience? And And at that point, we'd say, well, we could request a count of how many people in those segments are addressable via email, postage, postal mail, direct mail, um, social channels like um, Instagram and, and Facebook, or via digital media or out of home. How can we reach them? Where do we have them in the identity graph? And I could say the total number available is 20 or 50,000. Right. Great. So now I said, well, 50,000, is that a big enough audience? Well, no, I'd rather go for 150,000. Okay. Let me look and see if there are adjacent segments and, and we could acquire those. And now we create an audience that we can conduct a analysis of those other fields. Mm-hmm. And, and that helps us to narrow it down to the households and individuals most likely to be in market for what we plan to offer. Right. And it gives us insights about where they shop. Are they Neiman Marcus people or Target Mm -hmm. people? What do they drive? Are they Ford people or Mercedes people? Um, Do they rent or lease their car? Do they rent or lease their home? Um, What sports teams are they fans of? Um, What type of hot sauce do they prefer? I mean, literally, (laughs) it's 15,000 different characteristics that are more or less true. And we can look at to what extent a particular group with a set of characteristics indexes above the norm for the geography to say, well, you know, there's a high concentration of people. 80% of the people in this zip code or in this census tract have these characteristics. And they index at 200% of the norm for all of the other zip codes in the area that we've decided to focus on. So, now I can really hyper-focus on where those prospective customers are most likely to be and who they are and what would be of interest to them. Right. And then acquiring it is quite literally placing a production order to have the digital identifiers, the postal addresses, the mm-hmm. mobile identifiers, mm-hmm. the all of the other identifiers that link back to that identity graph delivered. So I can create campaign assets for social, digital, direct mail, email, and out of home, aligned with the strategy, aligned with the characteristics of that audience that are likely to have resonance. And I can now begin to field an omni-channel campaign and track impressions by where they came from, Right. multi-touch and last touch. I can track engagements by where they came from and where those impressions were, both to a website through the use of a tool called Audience Anywhere, or even to a physical location through geofencing. So I can say, these customers who came to your branch, we geofenced your branch. We know they came from our audience. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, that audience acquisition process is, requires, um, you know, there's a production services group at Claritas who provides support for that. Um, But we work with multiple agencies. Um, A digital agency is given the digital audience identifiers and they upload the audience to LiveRamp. Uh, social 
uh, campaigns we typically manage through Claritas's production team. Same with email. Right. Um, and, and then direct mail, the client will often handle themselves. So we deliver postal addresses to them. We, you know, get a suppression file from them to make sure we're not bothering people who don't want to be bothered. Um, <laughs> Very and, important. Um, yep. And, uh, and again, it, it all comes through in an integrated tracking where, as a general rule, when campaigns will run anywhere from six to eight weeks as a, as a rule. Um, mm-hmm. And during that time, all the parties that are involved, the digital agency, the client, the Claritas team, um, the agency team at Otto and, and their partner at Branding Business will, will all come together for a stand-up meeting, you know, half an hour, 20 minutes. And it's a status check to say, have we got all the assets? Have have we deployed? Mm, what okay. have the yeah. what have the what have the um, engagements been so far? What have the conversions been so far? Um, and 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 then at the end of the campaign, we give it a thirty day count and then do a matchback analysis and a lift analysis. And if we're going to do a second campaign, we take all the learning from the first campaign, and we can optimize. And it's not uncommon to see the difference in incremental engagements and conversions be double what it is for an, an audience that was unexposed to the precision marketing mm-hmm. campaign. Just, that's, you know, phenomenal metrics. That, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And it, those types of, you know, all that research that goes into it, all mm-hmm. that preparation, and then those mm-hmm. calls, you know, those check-in mm-hmm. calls, that's mm-hmm. what's telling you what consumers are responding to yep. when it comes to being engaged or activated. And yep. obviously, you know, there are nuances depending on the industry or the audience, yes. but yep. there's always some sort of channel mix consideration, the campaign messaging, the call to action, and that's what and, ends up getting And then that there's, there's life itself. And, yes. you know, things like um, a, a, a COVID outbreak or yeah. of, yeah. you know, a, a default risk or <laughs> any number of things. I mean, just right. we had a client that launched a high yield savings account. And the first question was, oh my goodness, is our interest rate going to be attractive enough? Well, mm. you know, the Fed was raising interest rates every other week. And so at some point you have to lock it in and say, okay, we're going to commit to this interest rate. <laughs> yeah. And and then, you know, you do that and Goldman Sachs and Apple announced that they're going to offer a high yield savings <laughs> account. And well, now what, you know, so the good news is things don't always work out as even some bigger technologically sophisticated and financially substantial companies mm-hmm. might plan. And it, the customer doesn't always enjoy the experience. <laughs> so right, um, right. I, I think that what I've learned is precision marketing provides um, a way of being agile, a way of being um, responsive, and but also a way of, of being anticipatory. It allows us to, in advance, build models of behavior and to then test through these dynamic campaigns whether our hypothesis, whether our model is consistent with the market's behavior. Because opinion research is only opinion. Mm-hmm. Behavioral data is far more valuable than opinion data. And what precision marketing provides us with is, is behavioral data. My next question for you, it's not totally how I was originally introduced to you, but 
it is a similar situation. And you are very well aware of this, but not only are brands worried about acquiring new customers, but mm-hmm. a lot of them are simultaneously running down this path of mergers and acquisitions with mm-hmm. other companies. Sure. And it often leads to a rebrand, which you know yeah. well <laughs> well yeah. about. So perhaps it's because it's an industry that I'm hyper-focused on, but it seems mm-hmm. to be especially true in financial services with banks yeah. and credit unions. M&A then puts them in this position where they're working to retain existing customers or members and transition them to the new brand. What types of questions should the leaders be asking as they're transitioning their brand and customers or members? Yeah, I, from from my work with Branding Business, um, which is a, a B2B brand strategy firm, mm-hmm. and, and Auto Brand Lab, which is, a, it does quite a bit of B2B, but it does a great deal more uh, business to consumer. Uh, and, and a great deal more creative. I, I, and from my own work at, at Xerox, um, where I, I was very lucky to work with some brilliant marketers. And one of, one of the um, people we first brought in was the former chief marketing officer of Coca-Cola mm. to consult to Xerox about branding. Mm-hmm. Now, and this is similar, I, I think, to what happens with Let's talk about credit unions in particular, because so many credit unions have acronyms as their brand yeah. name, yep. <laughs> um, and they're known to their members. And, and typically, those members are all geographically very close together. Um, and if they do merge with another credit union, though the the importance of brand awareness and the goodwill or trust that the members have in the brand doesn't exist outside of their membership and their immediate served market and their mm-hmm. served market geography. And and for many companies or entities that have kind of grown up organically and become comfortable with an esoteric brand, um, you know, some acronym, um, they don't necessarily understand the value of building a brand and the value of brand strategy and and messaging and positioning for a brand and and i think that what we try to help people with is to first take an ass- to assess the strength of your brand in terms of unaided and aided awareness consideration and also, your your own members or customers in terms of their likelihood to recommend, or better yet, their actual behavior in recommending. And, and also look at factors like churn. I mean, have you been losing members or customers right. lately? If so, why? That may call for doing that kind of voice of customer work that I had mentioned earlier, where we'd say to the client, it's not enough to just look at them churn. We need to talk to the people who've left and find out why. We need to talk to the people who've left and see what it would take for them to come back. So there's a lot of ethnographic research and market research that we often do with clients to establish where they actually are in terms of those key marketing metrics, aided and unaided awareness, consideration, as well as things like referral and satisfaction and um uh, you know, other, other both leading and lagging indicators of brand health. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and very often, you know, they need to, they get very attached to the brand they know, and they're afraid they're going to lose 
members or customers mm -hmm. if they change it. Mm -hmm. They're also very often unaware of how difficult and expensive it can be to build awareness for a new brand. They're also not necessarily always aware of the value of aided and unaided awareness. Mm, okay. the, the value of uncontested consideration. Right. <laughs> the value of loyalty, especially when it translates into referral. Right. So a lot of the work we do is to help them understand and quantify the value of those things and ask them questions about what their customer acquisition costs are at present, what they expect the cost of customer acquisition is going to be for this expansion after mm -hmm. merger or acquisition, how much churn they expect and why, and and then what they expect, not only what, what they expect, the, what the lifetime value of the members that they're requiring are, but but what's the lifetime value they're going to ascribe to new members they hope to attract. Mm. And those, you know, in many cases, it's it's going in and asking questions that people have just become, uh, I don't want to say resistant to, but they're almost afraid to ask. Yes, you have to ask those hard questions. Going into a, a brand that's been in existence for 80 years and saying, well, your brand is your problem. <laughs> <laughs> kind of demands that you substantiate <laughs> that, right? You've got to be able to and let us explain to you how right. and why and what changing your brand would entail. Mm -hmm. But most importantly, not only what it would entail in terms of commitment and training and time and money, but what the benefits will be in terms of member growth and growth in your assets under management mm -hmm. or in the the dividends that you can when well, they use other terms I know but but what you can return to your members mm -hmm. um, because you've you've overachieved in terms of um, deposits or 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 lending that does not default. <laughs> <laughs> you know, rebranding is one piece of the puzzle, but then you also mm. have to ensure that there's adoption of your strategy across yeah. your entire organization. That's another piece. It well, uh, you know, that's something that that. Auto Brand Lab and and Branding Business both in their respective domains excel at, and it, a lot of it is is actually um, support for the leadership. Yes. Um, and it's a it's a transition. It's a journey. It's not a sprint. Yes. What we explain to people is it will take years, not months. Right. Right. For you to realize the benefits of the investment you're making in your brand, especially if it's a new brand rather than just a refresh. Mm -hmm. um, but in a world where increasingly the consumer has data at their fingertips, the value of emotional connections and resonance with the values, not just the transactional objectives of those consumers can have become more and more important. Mm -hmm. What it takes to build affinity, what it takes to engage an, a prospective customer or member and see them develop an affinity and an engagement with them that is multidimensional. 
that isn't just about a transaction, but is about the things that matter to them. You know, so it's not just about direct mail and advertising. It's also through through a consistent positioning and and messaging that's designed to be relevant to the audience and individual groups within your audience. It, it supports things like your engagement in the community. Mm-hmm. It, it, it supports the, the causes that you commit, not just your money, but your people's time to. Right, yeah. Um, and it reflects itself also in the way the employees of the brand live the brand promise, are consistent in the way they express the brand promise, mm-hmm. in the way they behave, not because there's a rule or that there's a, you know, a process, but because they have an understanding of what that brand stands for. So they can make decisions on the spot and be empowered to represent the brand in a consistent and, if you will, believable manner. <laughs> yeah, 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 100%. All right, Don, I know I've chewed your ear off quite a bit, but uh, I want to end on a a bit of an action plan or key takeaways, if you will. So what are the top couple of things that a brands will need to do now or in the future to stand out from their competitors as they continue to pursue those customer acquisition goals? Yeah, I I think they've got to invest in voice of customer. Mm -hmm. And and it's it's often thought that, well, we talk to them every day. we know what they say. We know what they think. <laughs> but they they really haven't. Not in the way that as as a research professional we work to to eliminate bias in gathering voice of customer. Mm-hmm. And frankly the way that as outsiders we are more likely to ask the difficult questions. The the ones that challenge the very beliefs that leadership often has. <laughs> um, it maybe the problem is your brand name or yeah. maybe the problem is wh- whatever. So right. w- to a degree, it's don't be afraid to have kind of a red team, you know, a an external advocate for your brand to ask those difficult questions, to challenge the comfortable assumptions mm. that you are living with every day. Yep. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, um, we become acclimated to the way things are. And it's often the way things are that needs to change. That's true. And I often say to people, you know, when you, when you start a, you start a new job, that's the day you should pay attention to how the restrooms look to you. Because after a month, you'll no longer be in a position to make a judgment. You'll have become accustomed to the way they look. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're going to say something, say it on the first day. (laughs) Um, So I I think that's, you know, my experience in all the years that I worked with Xerox, I was very lucky lucky to work with some absolutely brilliant executives who weren't afraid to hire me to ask the difficult questions. Right. And to sit at their staff meetings and challenge the things that were being taken as givens. Yep. <laughs> and and it's the same I think with our credit union clients and uh, our our B2B clients. They they really do value our understanding of brands and branding and brand strategy and messaging mm-hmm. um to to ask those fundamental questions and then to be able to back up our challenges to the con- to the conventional wisdom with data 
That's key. Yep. And and voice of the customer in context. Right. So that it's not just we talk to 20 people. Well, so what? You know, that only tells you what it's possible for 20 right. people to say. Yep. But then we take the 20 things and we say, well, of the 20 people, there were a couple of themes that we heard and some things we didn't hear that we thought we should have. So now let's field a study that's designed to be eliminating bias that could creep in when we let people kind of do it ad hoc. Mm -hmm. And let's find out what the statistical likelihood of those things being heard nine times out of 10 mm -hmm. are. And, and, and in that way, we can help them to de-risk their decisions and to feel more confident that it's not just our opinion, that yes, our opinions are informed by years of experience and we have a heuristic understanding of, of things that, that may be hard to translate into numbers, but we realize that people do need to see empirical, objective, right. quantitative yep. data to support an argument. Um, in the end, the decision does mean someone's going to have to use their belly brain and <laughs> make a gut call, but we try to give them as much evidence to support their decision as possible. Well, Don, I think uh, this has been a great conversation. It's been one of the, the best ones that you and I have had a chance to have, and we have so many My more pleasure. conversations and, and uh, collaborations in the works. But I, I do want to um, give you a chance to plug anything that's new and exciting for you, the brands that you work with every day, and obviously let our listeners know where they can connect with you. Well, well, they can certainly connect with me on my LinkedIn page if they're mm -hmm. if they're um, you know, business folks. Um, I, I kind of Nima Hunter is my consultancy, uh, but they can also find me through Branding Business and Auto Brand Lab. Uh, those are two of the the firms that I I work in this capacity uh, to uh, direct research and um, assist with precision marketing campaigns. Um, and in terms of things that I'm particularly interested in, I suppose the most interesting thing to me these days is looking at how people are jumping to the conclusion that artificial intelligence is going to solve all their problems. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'd say that, that's my, that's the thing that I'm paying attention to this day is, you know, what, what is it that AI actually is capable of and right. what is it not capable of? I, I, I think that the, what I'm finding is um, at first I, I thought, oh, will this be the end of research or will this be the end of, oh, of yeah. advisory yeah. services mm -hmm. for precision marketing? Uh, it'll get better, no question, over the next next three to five years, maybe even within two. But right now, it, it, it most of these platforms wildly hallucinate at least one or two percent of the time. And it's kind of like having a thousand research assistants that bring you all this stuff, but you still do need someone with a well-developed um, executive function and an ability to check for yes. the instances that are exactly. just crazy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have those conversations over yeah. here every day too. So, <laughs> so don't you know? Don't don't be too enamored with the the new shiny object um, <laughs> yet. Just yet. It's 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 good to experiment. It's good to challenge the conventional wisdom, as Agreed. I said earlier. Um, but. At, at this point, we still need uh, we still need some humans in the loop that have experience and uh, and who use data exactly. in a in a responsible and um, you know hopefully informative way. Right. <laughs> well, thanks again, Don. I've Thank enjoyed having you on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. 
So we'll make sure to add uh, links to our description box so everyone can check them out. But Wonderful. since that's all we uh, all the time we have for today, I want to again thank Don Carly for joining me. But I also want to thank those of you that are listening at home or on the go. If you've not already, please take a moment to follow The Marketing Insider so you never miss an episode. Rate us five stars on your podcast app of choice, our favorite being Spotify, and share us with a friend or colleague so we can keep the conversation going. And with that, we'll see you next time with a brand new episode. Bye now. Bye.